So before we get started, let's pray, because I need it. Heavenly Father, Lord, we lift up uh, Jesse and his new bride, Bren, Lord. We pray that you would just surround them with your love and your, your protections, Father. We know that the world today is, uh, seems like it's launched a full-scale attack on the sanctity of marriage. And so, Father, we, we ask for your protection on them. We lift up Jeff and Heather to you, Father, and we ask that you would bring them back safely to us and that you would allow them to relax and have fun, Lord, while they are gone. And this morning, Father, we ask that you'd be here with us. We ask, Lord, that the, the words that are said will be words from you, that we would all learn and be lifted up, Father, and most of all, you, you would be glorified. So, Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as you know, Jeff's been teaching through, started teaching through uh, Revelation. And when he gets back next week, we're going to pick up in chapter 2, which is going to start the individual letters to the different churches. And so what I want to talk about this morning is those letters in whole, where I'm not going to focus on any one letter. I'm going to read a large chunk of scripture here. I'm going to read chapters two and three, and then we'll go back and talk about them. It says, chapter two, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquests, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Verse 12. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, The words of him who has a sharp two-edged sword, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. I, yet you hold fast my name. And you, did, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. 
You have some here who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have one who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon in war against them with the word sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give the same. I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Verse 18. And to the angel of the church of Thyatira write, The word of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like barnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your later works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her into a sick bed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold to this this teaching, who have not learned that some call the deep things of Satan. To you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over nations. And I will rule them with a rod of iron, as when the earthen pots are broken in pieces even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Chapter 3. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then, when you received and heard, keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. You have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens.
I know your works, behold. I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not but lie. Behold, I will make them I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you because you have kept my words about patient endurance. I will keep you from the hour of a trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say I am rich, and I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, pitiable, and poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich in white garments, so that you may be clothed, that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and solve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered, and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear to hear... In ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Kind of a big chunk of scripture there. Uh, something I want to talk about here. And, and every one of these churches had had this in um, common. When you look at what God says He has against them, it has to do with compromise. Imagine being in the world that the early churches were in. You know, Ephesus, Sardis, Thyatira, all of this in you know, Asia Minor, all these places. These were steeped in idol worship. I mean, they had idols for everything. And they also, this is at a time when John's writing this, le- or John's writing this revelation down, uh, emperor worship was huge. And if you didn't worship the emperor, you know, they'd kill you. You're done. That's the worst part. Second, you know, the other thing was you could be denied access to societal perks. You know, if you, whatever you did to make a living usually happened in, I think it was called, I can't remember the name of that, that market area where they would, do all their buying and selling, but you would be denied access to that. And if you were denied access to that, 
basically you were denied the ability to make a living. Divide, you know, you were denied the ability to provide for your families. And then remember, too, they're new Christians. This is the first generation of the church here. And so they're coming out of idolatry, stuff that they've known all their lives. And are choosing, you know, they are now following Christ. So they've still got some of this in them as well. And so as they start getting told, you know, they start getting denied being able to participate in things that could be life or death for them. They, they may not be able to uh, provide for their families. They start making concessions, start making compromises. You know, um, I need to be able to provide for my family. I have to work. And so, well... If I take part in this festival over here on the sideline and I get seen there, people will think I, I believe, you know, I, I'm going along with it. But, you know, I, I don't. It's, it's okay if I do that just so. But the problem with compromising is it opens the door. And as soon as you open that door of compromise, you're going to start compromising on bigger things as they did. You know, when you do a word search on the word compromise, it's actually kind of interesting. It means compromise means to, and this is out of the Webster Dictionary, compromise means to come to agreement by mutual concession. So then, what does concession mean? Concession means to yield. Yield means to surrender or relinquish control, hand over possession, oneself, up to inclination, temptation, or habit, to relinquish one's possessions, to surrender or submit to another. So if you're making compromises on your faith, you've surrendered, period. You've opened that door and more is going to come. And probably the absolute best example, if you turn to 1 Kings chapter 11, probably the best example here is Solomon. I'm going to read the, uh, the first part of it here. First few, starting in verse 1, it says, Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, Hittite women, from nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn, turn away your heart after their gods. And Solomon clung to these in love, and he had 700 wives who were princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. Why did Solomon have all these wives? Most of these were political marriages. You know, uh, it was not uncommon in that era to make peace with a nation next to you 
that the king would take the daughter of another another king of another king, and this would be a uh, political treaty, and it would be a promise of peace between the two nations. Yet God had told them from the very beginning, "You will not intermarry with these people." But what did Solomon do? Solomon took wives from these nations. But, you know, why would you do that? Ultimately, it's because if I'm in Solomon's position, maybe I don't fully trust what God has said. God said that he would protect Israel. God said that he would establish the line of David on the throne forever. So if Solomon thought he had to make this political alliance by taking these wives, ultimately he's saying, God, I don't trust you. And what's that going to do? Well, if you read through this, you'll see he made all kinds of high places of worship and idols for his wives so that they could worship their gods that they had known throughout their lives. And ultimately, what happens? It ends up with Israelites starting to worship these pagan gods. And so you see, one compromise, maybe you thought it was for a good idea. Maybe, you know, I don't want to offend somebody or I don't want to, I don't want to cause a riff. But that little compromise costs a lot which ultimately we'll see ends in the fractionalization of Israel. It splits Israel in half because of idol worship. Who brought it in? And then you go back to Deuteronomy. In fact, it's Deuteronomy 17. Moses is, you know, getting close to dying. Getting close, the Israelites are getting close to going into the promised land. So Moses has given to Israel the law of God. And in Deuteronomy 17, 17, he says, And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive gold, silver and gold. So God said right from the very beginning that when they decide that they want a king, because he's told them, I know you're going to want one. This king is not to amass a bunch of wives because he says this is what's going to happen. He will, these wives will turn you from me, from worshiping me. This would have been taught, you know, from the very beginning, this would have been taught to, to Israel because they, they passed on to, at this time, they would pass on to sons and daughters what God had said, what God had done. So why why did Solomon not listen? You know, and look what happened. I'm not trying to beat him up. I'm just trying to use this as an example of why compromise is so bad. Why compromise can destroy it can destroy a church. It it has, and we'll we'll talk about that. You know, in Deuteronomy 17, in fact, 14 through 19. There's a whole list of things in there that God's telling the king that when Israel chooses a, has a king, that this king is not supposed to do. If you go back and we study Solomon, Solomon did every one of them. 
<laughs> just like us, isn't it? Just like humans. We get told not. I mean, what happens if you tell you? We have most of us have raised kids. What happens when we tell a kid not to do something? That's the first thing they're going to go do. I mean, my mom used to have to beat me on a daily basis because all she'd have to do is say, don't do it. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm going to go do it now. You know, it's part of that's being a knucklehead kid. But part of that, too, is being a knucklehead human. This side of heaven in a fallen state is for whatever reason, when God tells us something that is good for us, something that he he knows what's best, and we want to push up against that because guess what? I know what's best. And it usually don't work that way. I usually end up paying for it. So when we look at this, you got to ask yourself a question. So why why were the, what was the purpose of these letters? You know, so God has in a couple churches he didn't have anything against. One church he didn't have anything good to say, and in the rest of them it was you know you have this for you and this against you. And you know what what is the purpose? Well, the purpose of this was a wake up call. This is a warning. God is giving the church there a warning. Because I think most of us in this room have probably at least once in our life have read the book of Revelation. I may not have understood all of it, but we've read it. And we know there are some things in there that aren't that good. There are some bad times coming. So God's giving a warning. He's saying, hey, wake up. Change. Repent. Because my wrath's coming. And you don't want to be caught up in this. Because there's only two positions to be in. It's forgiven. You'll be safe from it. You might go through it, but he'll protect you in it. And then the other position is, you get caught up in it, and you wind up spending an eternity in hell, separated from God. Period. It's the only two places. So God's warning them. Nehemiah 9.29 let me back up. When God's gonna, when God is gonna uh, pass judgment, when his when he is going to punish, he always warns. We can look at scripture and we can see God always gives a warning. And it's for most cases, I don't want to say every time, but God for the most part warns prior to acting. And in Nehemiah 9:29. Nehemiah is speaking, he says, And you warned them in order to turn them back to your law. Yet they acted presumptuously and did not obey your commandments, but sinned against your rules, which if a person does them, he shall live by them. And they turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their necks and would not obey. God's warning people, hey, repent. Turn around. Stop with these compromises. Come back to me. Come back, as he told the church of Ephesus. Come back to your first love. Don't go this route because I'm bringing judgment. I'm bringing my wrath against the world. At this time, of course, uh, I believe it's debated whether it was Nero or Domitian. Might have those mixed up. It's debated on which one was emperor at the time. It doesn't matter which one it was because neither one was good. 
and they were all out to get and uh, blame Christians for everything, and they were executing them. And so, in a way, you could say that you know they had a tribulation they were going through at that at that time and era. Second Kings uh, seventeen, going back to that. Second Kings chapter seventeen. Uh, starting in verse 12, it says, And they served idols of which the Lord had said to them, You shall not do this. Verse 13, Yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah by every prophet and every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways, keep my commandments and my statutes in accordance with all the law that I commanded your fathers and that I sent to you by my servants and prophets. And we know the history of Israel. We know what happened. But, you know, let's not get too cocky because we know our own propensity to do the same thing. It's, again, that this side of heaven in a fallen state being a knuckleheaded human. We tend to think we know what's best and, and do our own thing. In Jeremiah 17... Starting in verse 23. It says, Yet they did not listen or incline their ear, but stiffened their necks that they might not hear and receive instruction. 24. But if you listen to me, declares the Lord, and bring in no burden by the gates of this city on the Sabbath day, but keep the Sabbath day holy and do no work on it. Point being, Listen, he's calling you back. He's saying, turn around. That's what repent is. Turn around, 180 degree turn. Come back to God. This is a warning. Proverbs 10, 25. When the tempest passed, the wicked is no more, but the righteous is established forever. Turn around. That's what the letters are for. With the tempest, when that time comes, when the judgment comes, the wicked will be no more. But the righteous, those who the mark of God is upon them, they will live. They will live forever. They will be with Christ, with God in heaven, the new heaven, in paradise is basically the best way to put it, because I have a great imagination. I start imagining heaven and paradise, and I can really go down the rabbit hole. So I got a really good one. But when we look back at these scriptures, and we look at these letters, and we study out the history of these different churches, and we see what's going on. They were struggling, and they were struggling hard. But these letters, you know, you've heard Jeff say the, the then and not yet. Well, that was wrote for them at that time. The not yet is us today. Okay. These letters were also wrote to you and I, to the church today. What are we doing that's compromising? Look at the churches today that you see and you hear about. Uh, so many of them start off uh, solid. There, you know, there, I can think of one right away up north that was a solid church, had a 
ministry that basically almost went worldwide. They were very well known of. Many pastors that, uh, that I think are good pastors came up in that church and went on out to serve God and do great things in his name. But the person himself that started that church all of a sudden started seeing the success. His ego took off and he started making compromises in how he did things. And it ultimately ended with his leaving ministry for a while. It destroyed that ministry. It is not today what it was then, which is really too bad because they put out a, some great, they did some great service for the kingdom. I know that he is back pastoring again, and I hope that his heart has been changed. You know, that's all we can do. We can pray for him and hope that. Um, we look at other churches that are, that are splitting, you know, today. Uh, the Lutheran churches, uh, Methodist, Presbyterian, all these churches that are splitting today. And it all has to do with their governing bodies being willing to make compromises to fit in with today's society. You know, um, ordaining women as pastors, that doesn't sound like a bad thing. You know, because women absolutely have a place in ministry. Absolutely. But nowhere in Scripture does pastor or priest or any of that ever be referred to in female uh, gender. It's always male. And so you might say, well, we're going to ordain a, a, a woman to our church as a pastor because... We want, we want to be all inclusive. We want more people. Well, that doesn't jeopardize your salvation, but it jeopardizes the church because that's a compromise. You've made a compromise to get along in society. And what's the next thing that happens? The next progression. We see churches now ordaining gay and lesbian, transgender, how can you be a pastor and openly practice that kind of a lifestyle and teach the Word of God? That's blasphemy. But these little compromises bring that in. What about the elder in the church? Everybody knows he's having an affair, but we look the other way because we don't want to upset the apple cart. How many times have we heard that story? It's a compromise. Or the, the person in the church body that everybody loves, everybody likes. They're a great person. But you get them out of church, and boy, are they something else. But we don't, we don't upset the apple cart, so we ignore it. It's a compromise. So there's all kinds of compromises the church makes. And ultimately, what ends up happening is the church pays for it. So now you're seeing these churches that were once solid churches. They're splitting. Um, the uh, Reformed, what is it called? The Reformed Churches of America split in uh, 2022. And they were a cons 
theologically conservative group. This denomination was 400 years old. And they split in 2022 due to these compromises that I just listed. So the ones that within that body that were still hanging on to their theologically conservative views of the Bible went on to that year to start the American, or no, the Alliance of Reformed Churches, the ARC. And they, at the time of the split, the time of the formation of this new denomination, they had over 125 churches that were instantly looking to join them because they're looking for that solid Bible teaching, solid doctrine without compromise. They understand what that means. They understand what it means, that little compromise within the church, what's going to happen. You look at the uh, something I've known all my life, the SBC, Southern Baptist Coalition, or Convention. They're going to split. In my opinion, I think they're going to split. Why? Because of these exact compromises right now I'm talking about. The modern way of thinking is we have to make these compromises to remain element, ele relevant in the modern world. No, we do not. What we need to do is stay firmly in Scripture. What does Scripture say? Period. It doesn't change for modern ways of thinking. When we change it, we're setting ourselves up and we're setting ourselves up to fall. That's these compromises that we're talking about. That's where the, that's where these things take us. It's the road we go down. And I think many of us, if we've been in church long enough, we have either experienced a church split or we have known of a church that we had some, at least something to do with it split. And if we look back on why did that church split, I think that you're going to find some of what I'm talking about is going to be involved in that. And so these letters today to us is telling us, stay true, stay true to God's word. And where we have deviated, where we have erred, repent and turn around Go back to, as he told the Ephesians, go back to your first love. Go back to when you first believed. Back to the soundness of Scripture. When somebody says, yeah, but, tell them, okay, sit down. Get your Bible out. Let's talk. I'm willing to hear you, but you better show me in Scripture where you're coming from because I'm going to show you in Scripture where I'm coming from. And I'm not saying I have the right answer for every question. And I don't mind being proven wrong. But I want to be proved wrong from Scripture. I don't want to be proved wrong from somebody's opinion. And so as, as we look around us and we think about what's going on and we think about the dark times that Israel went into. Israel ceased to be a nation for many, many years due to her disobedience to God. Where, where are we? Where are we as a church? Where is the church today?
as far as God's uh, wrath. Where is the church today and what God would say is good? And more importantly, what if God wrote this letter to you individually? As an individual, what if God wrote these seven letters to you? What would he have good to say? And what would he say he has against you? That's, you know, I would, I would encourage all of us to think about that. What would God say about Joe? What do I, what would he say is good that I do? And then what would he say? Yeah, but Joe, I got, I have this against you. And that's that personal reflection that we need to be in God's word. We need to be in prayer. We need to be seeking him out and asking him as painful as it might be. Show me, Lord. Show me where those items are that you have against me. Make them known to me and take them away. Take those, take those away. Show, show me how to overcome that. You know, uh, I know for me personally, I, I struggle with a temper, especially if I'm driving. Uh, I, I say that as a joke, but I'm not as bad as I used to be, you know, and I'm hoping that I'm getting better as time goes on. But I think every one of us, we have those things within us that we know we struggle with. And as a Christian, I know that those things I struggle with, again, I'm not as bad as I once was, but I ain't as good as I will be. In fact, I think that's a country song, isn't it? <laughs> and that's where we need to be. We need to be improving daily. Asking God to point these out. Now, Lord, where have I compromised in my life? Where have I opened that door to let in that which you've warned me against. You know, is it pride? I'm a, I can be a prideful person. Ask Carol. <laughs> I can get downright ornery sometimes because, you know, I don't want to be wrong. Pride, they, you know, pride can get us in a lot of trouble. Anger? You know, I remember my mom beating me in the head. You know, she said, boy, you better learn to think before you, you talk. Because I'd get mad and fly off the handle and it cost me a lot of problems. Uh, you know, there's just so many things. That I, that there's so many things that you could list that are compromises that we open the door to, that we allow into our lives that God's saying, hey, I told you not to do this and I told you why not to do this. But I do it anyway. And every one of us knows not to do it. So it's not a question. See, that's the other thing. It's not a question of whether we know if it's okay or not. We know it's not. And we choose to do it anyway. You know, I, 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 when I dig my heels in and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be wrong and I'm going to like being wrong and I'm going to stay here because of my pride. I don't want to admit that I was wrong. That's Joe being a knucklehead. That's Joe refusing to repent. And every now and then, God has to slap me upside the head and get my attention. And it usually hurts. And that's, I think, is where 
Many of us are today. And unfortunately, it's in the church as organizations, as groups. The church itself is suffering with these things. And the church is allowed. Why? Because of it's made above us individuals who are sinful, who are prideful, who are arrogant, who are, the list goes on. And so we need to be pushing ourselves, going to God. I mean, it is so easy to get busy and not pray, not spend time in the Word. But it is here that I'm going to learn. It is here that I'm going to realize, oh, I need to repent. I mean, how many times do you read Scripture and all of a sudden you read something and boom, it's like it's like somebody just smacked you. And you're like, oh, that's me. You know? If you're not here, if you're not in the Word, and you're not praying, those moments don't happen until the big one happens. And so God has wrote these letters. He sent them to us just as much as He sent them to the churches back then. It's a warning to turn around, to repent. And as Jeff goes further into Revelation, we're going to start understanding why, why it's so important. Because there's some things we don't want to be caught up in.